This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today's episode is a condensed version of an AIRS-hosted webinar moderated between their Vice President of Organizational Development, Rob O'Donnell, along with President and CEO of Erickson Immigration Group, Jerry Erickson. AIRS is a leader in global mobility and employee relocation services and currently acting at the forefront of developing best strategies to address this changing landscape. Their discussion focuses on how HR is transforming in real time to meet the needs of today's new normal and what shifts in immigration services will look like in the coming months and on forward. I'm Ian Gaines. Enjoy the webinar. Today's world, it's all about change and adapting. And two of the biggest areas that are impacting our global mobility program today that we see is with HR, with remote working, closing offices, reopening offices, and the constant changes that we see in immigration. And we are so honored to have two leading experts in both of these fields. So let me start with Rob. Rob, what is HR's role in a crisis? How to prepare a recipe for recovery as well as moving forward. Well, hi, Sherry, and thanks for having us. I appreciate that. A couple things. We have a formula that we use in our HR department. It's, it's E plus R equals O. And what that means is events, which I can't control, they keep coming at us. If I add that to my response, that determines my outcome. So we can complain about way, the way things are, or we can work to do something about it. So that response, that's where we're targeting it. And the two major priorities, I think, through this crisis would be making sure that our people are safe, primarily, and engaged. And by keeping them safe, we just have to be transparent about what's going on, honest and transparent. And this is a great time to over-communicate with people. There are two mandates that we have in our department in HR. And one is that every transaction has to leave that person with a smile on their face. And we wanna leave you with a fond lasting memory. Well, how do you do that when we're asking people to furlough or we're asking people to you know, work from home in a difficult environment or you, you, you can't do certain things, we've got these restrictions on it. That's what makes it culturally appropriate. And I think that's what keeps people engaged is we make sure that we take those mandates and all those safety measures and we culturalize those to make it appropriate to our group. So safety and engagement, those are the two priorities. I got a question for you, uh, Jerry. You know, hey, there's, Rob. Um, hey, Rob. How you do it? Yeah. So can I jump in and just say a couple things on uh, kind of in follow-up to what you had to say there? Jump in. All right. And I would say at the beginning, uh, before we really got started, you know, seeing you on screen for that five minutes, not talking, I think that's the longest I've ever seen you not speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. With friends like Jerry, I tell you what. We go way back, just on so, the interest of full disclosure. <laughs> so begins our fireside chat. <laughs> um, so you're right. Um, wow. <clears throat> What's HR's role in a crisis? So I can tell you from my perspective, uh, being on the flip side of immigration, I've always thought that, you know, back in the day, immigration was really hard for them to get a seat at the table. Um, and then immigration, frankly, just became more difficult. It wasn't like it used to be, uh, you know, back in the day. Petitions were scrutinized much more closely. And, um, you really had to be super engaged. So immigration got like this huge seat at the table because all these transfers around the planet, whether it was coming into the US or going or, or you know, abroad, global somewhere, they were important to a lot of people, to managers, to the business, uh, to the executives. What happened to immigration 
you know, I'll just say five minutes ago when they became very important within the organization has now happened to HR. If it, if it didn't happen before in your organization, HR is now completely front and center because as we all try to figure this out, this return to the office, uh, there's a lot of issues, obviously. And, and I can just tell you from, from my perspective, um, we went out, uh, the San Francisco office got closed the uh, first week of March. Arlington got closed on the 13th of March, and we haven't been back, uh, except for a very small crew of folks who come in and do what's necessary uh, just to kind of keep it keep it humming. Um, and I don't see any like super quick return uh, of getting people in here just based on what we're seeing and reading right now. So uh, it, it's a big crisis. Uh, HR really has to step up. I used to, I was engaged with my HR professional and, and, and the team uh, before COVID, but now I talk with them more than anybody else on my team to make sure that we're ready. Uh, and I think I'd share with you when we spoke last that we prepared a, a return to the office playbook. <clears throat> that is pretty exhaustive. I won't go through it. I'd be interested to see what you guys have on that, but uh, ours takes you from the time you either enter the building or from the time you uh, step out of your car in the garage and what you should be doing with respect to masks, what you should touch, what you should not touch, those types of things. Um, on the open and honest and you know, being communicative with your team, I think that is um, it's more important than I knew. And so I have a Friday uh, note that I send out to the entire team and frankly it just lets them know like how's how are we doing as an organization what's happened the past week and um, are we okay because I've heard from a number of folks you know maybe their spouse lost their position they got furloughed they got rift uh, they had their their wage re uh, reduced uh, that hasn't happened with our organization but people are um, they're super engaged in terms of like am I going to be okay uh, and it doesn't appear that COVID is going away anytime soon. So I think it's, it's huge that we um, stay in front, of, uh, in front of our employees. So I just wanted to add that uh, just to give you my two cents for where, where EIG comes from on that. I think it's more like a nickel, Jerry. Thanks for that. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, you know, when it comes to a changing environment, how fluid this is, and we see, we see things changing, uh, especially when you open up the economy, those stipulations seem to change from week to week. And I think if you take it up a notch, immigration seems to change from week to week. And there's been some, some recent executive uh, orders that have come out that have changed the, the, the whole landscape for immigration. So can you kind of, Jerry, can you bring us up to speed on what the latest is from this administration and what type of direction we can take? Sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. Immigration, as I said, whether it's you know in your organization or outside, it's now front and center. It's obviously got everybody, everybody's attention. And uh, just recently, on uh, June twenty second, uh, the administration issued an executive order. So I'd like to take you through that, as that's the latest one. I think what everybody is probably concerned about. So uh, the proclamation that, that came out, uh, suspending it's called suspending entry of aliens who present a risk to the U.S. labor market following the coronavirus outbreak. So that, like I said, it got released on June 22nd and then went into effect on the, on the 24th. What it does is um, it restricts entry in a way. And so I, I want to touch on that um, because while the order is, is pretty broadly titled, um, at its core, what is really happening here is it deals with uh, 
suspending the issuance, if you will, of new visas uh, for people who are in certain non-immigrant categories. And so uh, the people who are now restricted are, are folks uh, in H-1B, H-2B, uh, H-4, which is the dependent of an H, uh, H-1B, um, J-1s, L's, and L-2s. Uh, there was, and what that means is that they're not going to be able to get into the country if they're out right now, and they don't have a visa. So uh, that is obviously problematic from, um, you know, from a talent acquisition standpoint. It's going to definitely impact the business in terms of folks that they're able to bring into the U.S. And so everybody within, you know, mobility has to be really aware uh, of that limitation. There are some exemptions, you know, green card holders, uh, not impacted, um, people who are going to deal with national uh, interest. And I know some of the folks on this, uh, on this meeting do uh, deal in that area. Those, those aren't impacted. But those other categories for people who don't have a visa, um, super, super impacted. And so just to kind of state it, and essentially, if you don't have a valid visa in any one of these particular categories that I've just listed, and uh, you're outside the U.S., anytime from now until December 31st, you're not going to be able to, to come back into the U.S. until after December 31st, assuming that that's when this order lifts in terms of you being able to get a visa. So um, the duration, uh, like I said, uh, I think it's very important to keep that in mind, Rob. Uh, right now, it's through December 31st is when it's supposed uh, to expire. However, uh, in the order itself, it provides that uh, the administration is looking for input from Secretary of State, Secretary of Labor, within the next 30 days in terms of any amendments or modifications that might be necessary um, for, you know, for the good of the country. Uh, I see there's a question. Yes, Sherry? Gary, this question is for you. Um, are Canadian citizens impacted by this executive order or because they do not require a visa, they are still able to enter the U.S.? Yeah, so, so what's great, I mean, it is literally one of the takeaways, if you will. Um, Canadians are not impacted. Whether they're, you know, say in H-1B status now, they're not in H-1B status, they could be in TN status, apply for an H-1B because they don't need a visa. Uh, I mean, kind of literally like they're, they're the go-to in terms of recruiting for the next little bit uh, to think about our Canadian friends uh, because they're going to be able to get into the country before December 31st without, without having an issue. Hey, Jerry, that does bring up another option. We, you know, yeah. We've got people that are in our pipeline right now that they're looking for H-1B. And obviously this uh, this uh, is going to affect business. I, I'm wondering about the impacts. What are the options that people can, can other than, of course, reaching out to Canada, what are some of the other options for hiring managers right now? Yeah, so, you know, in, in immigration, uh, all my friends who I work with, we, we all know uh, that you're supposed to execute on plan A. That's it, you know, make it happen. Um, because a lot of times there is no plan B. And frankly, nobody really wants to talk about plan B. In, in the space of immigrations because timelines are very cute. You want it to happen. Um, but there are some workarounds to this. Um, you know, the O-1 is not, is not on that list. Um, obviously Canadians, so TN, not on that list. Uh, F-1 students uh, can still come in. And, and I'm aware, you know, I wouldn't give up on people who are abroad and may not be, and may think they're kind of stuck uh, because there could be an option. I'm familiar with a case where the primary H-1B uh, individual is in the U.S., the H-4 spouse is out of the U.S., 
her visa had expired. Uh, and um, it was really a time to think about other options. One of those options was school in the U.S. Uh, and to come in on F F one visa. So, so there are some options. It's uh, it's not going to pop up in every case for sure, uh, but it's it's not a fait accompli that that uh, there's not a, a plan B for somebody. I would say even if you have employees who are in the U.S. in valid, whether it's H or L status, they have valid visas that would allow them to travel outside of the U.S. and come back. Uh, I would be super mindful of that uh, in terms of going out. And, and partly that's because this proclamation, as I said a couple of minutes ago, the administration is looking for another update in 30 days. And then they're looking for another update after that within another 60 days. And I, I have a list I just, I pulled into this. It's the, it's the proclamations uh, just on the coronavirus that have come out. So one came out January 31st, and then February 29th, March 11th, March 14th, April 22nd, May 24th, and June 22nd. So it's every month something is happening. Um, I can imagine a situation in which if, if the virus continues to escalate, uh, that you're going to have crackdown on travel even, even greater. And uh, I'm if you are working in the U.S., I wouldn't want to be caught outside if another proclamation were issued, which really was, you know, had to be because of the circumstance, slightly draconian in terms of your ability to get back into the U.S. Um, one of the questions you answered earlier was in regard to Canadian nationals. Can we flip this now to Mexican nationals? Will they be able to come into the U.S.? Yep. Yeah, anybody, anybody with uh, uh, Canadian or Mexican on a TN, they're, they're good. Okay, great. Um, how about if expats and family have an L1 and L2 visas and they had to go out of the U.S. due to business or family emergencies before the executive order, should they prepare specific documents or letters from the company so that they can enter back into the U.S. in late July considering they have valid dates in their visas. Yeah, if they, have, if they had valid visas, they're good. They're, they're, they're not gonna be impacted in this. So they'll be able, the family will be able to get back in, the primary will, will be able to come back in. I would say, well, I don't wanna say it's business as usual, but um, uh, they should that? be able to get back in uh, and should be able to get back in pursuant to what the, uh, the, re the, the most recent proclamation. Uh, obviously that could change uh, within you know, the next 30 days, like something is going to happen. I don't know what that would be, but, um, but something could happen. Yeah. Okay. And how about business vi visitors under B2? Yeah. So uh, business travel is uh, very difficult right now. Uh, the consulates abroad uh, and embassies are pretty much like shut down in terms of issuing visas. So in theory, while, uh, you know, these not on that list, uh, you haven't been able to get that recently. They are, um, I'm told by my global team that it looks like they're beginning to schedule some appointments now at some of the embassies abroad for uh, the beginning part of the fall. And so uh, they should be able to issue those visas and people should be able to come in at that point. And still along the same vein here, Jerry, do you have recommended travel paths for those with visa stamps and passports to get back in the country? They have, you, the question is asking for folks who have visas to come back in. Yeah, is there a recommended travel path? Yeah, I, 
I, I think we're not seeing anything different in terms of people who have uh, valid visas. Uh, it's just for those folks who have, uh, have either not had a visa or they've gone out and the visa is now expired and they're trying to come back. That's where you're going to have trouble. I think it's still the same. Um, I think it's still the same type of situation pre-COVID. You know, you want your folks to have letters. Uh, you want them to have pay stubs. Uh, you know, the letters should be pretty detailed in terms of what they do and who who should be contacted in, in case there's a question from an immigration officer as they come back in. But they should be able to get back in. Thank you for that. Rob, I have a question for you. Um, can you give your input in HR transformation or considerations in aspects that may affect our, our expats? Uh, the expats not being able to leave the U.S. due to worries on reentry or extension, schools for their dependents, things like driver's license linked to their visas, etc. Well, that's a really good question. When you take a look at everything that we do in relocation, all the services that are provided, it's difficult to know and to be able to access those deep subject matter experts about every one of those specific things that you mentioned. And so I, I think it's important, we call it a single pane of glass, but you need, one, you need one area that you can go through to get that advice. And so for us, when it comes to immigration, you know, we, we reach out to, of course, Jerry Erickson from EIG, and he's a deep subject matter expert in that. But on the, on the receiving end of it, you're talking just to one person. So finding those subject matter experts, we're going to make sure that we can make those connections with the people inside. And from an HR perspective, we should be reaching out to that transferee, asking them, what can we do for you in country? And then we are the contact to, to get all those resources available to that person to help them get through whatever they're facing if they're outside of the country and to help them get back in if that's the case. Thank you for that, Rob. Yeah, if I could, if I could jump in there just a little bit, you know, on this single pane of glass, you know, I, I can imagine as a mobility manager, it can be kind of frustrating and time consuming. You know, if you go into the office on a Friday or Monday or whenever, uh, or you log in from the comfort of your sofa, uh, you know, that we're all doing right now, and you have to look at, you know, your immigration portal and then the tax portal and the relocation portal. So that single pane of glass, we've listened and our clients have been talking about that for a while. Um, you know, Ares, of course, has the Mobility X um, that allows you to integrate through API and make that happen. I think that's a, you know, like a, it's been a really good process, I think, to provide a snapshot, you know, in terms of the programs, cost, status, uh, just everything. So I think that that is something that um, I think just, you know, you're just going to see more and more of that, you know, providers and partners are you know, kind of tuned into the fact that that'll streamline uh, it'll streamline the work just a, a ton. So I'd, I'd look for more on that. Jerry, um, here's two questions and they're both on L1, L2. So I'm just going to combine them. Um, the question on L1, L2 with valid visas being able to come back in, isn't that limited to people that have not been in the Shenzhen area during the last 14 days prior to return? So, the, so there may be a period of quarantine is what we're reading. Uh, and it could apl apply across the board, depending on where you're coming from. But in terms of coming back to the U.S. right now, um, if you've got a valid L, uh, you would be you're, you're eligible to re-enter the U.S. Uh, as long as that visa is valid. Um, yeah, you're not going to be you're not going to be stopped coming back into the U.S. At least at this moment. What if the L1 or H1 are current, but their visas need to be renewed this year? 
So um, doesn't impact those folks either. If you're in the United States, invalid H, valid L, uh, you and you're working pursuant to that. Uh, it's just that your visa is expired. You know, my my clear advice to them is not to travel. They should not leave the U.S. because they will not be able to get a visa to come back in. So they can stay here. They can get their petitions extended in you know, the work approval uh, period of time when it's necessary. Uh, but they're going to have to wait it out until at this point, at least until after December 31st. Uh, to make that happen. But again, I think people need to stay tuned because I can see, you know, uh, a scenario where, where that timeline is extended or, or it applies to more people. So in line with that, Jerry, do you anticipate impact on H-1B cap process in 2021 um, as there could, there's probably going to be a significant backlog in January 2021 for visas held up through December 2020? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so, you know, the embassies have been closed for months. Uh, they're not issuing visas. All those folks who needed visas for all those months, they still need visas. Uh, they're going to be in line at some point. And so I suspect there's going to be, you know, a huge backlog on visa processing that is going to really cause some significant delays. So if you had people or uh, people consular processing and they're out of the U.S., I would, you know, already, and they've never been in age, then I would, I would definitely set the expectation that those folks are most likely not going to be here, you know, on October 1, when, when they would be eligible to enter. And um, if they're in the U.S. Um, and you filed a cap case and you asked for consular processing, you know, it would make sense to refile the case once it gets approved and just ask. Uh, for change status here, so they don't have to go back out of the U.S. and they, they could begin working. So, I, I definitely see uh, impact to to cap cases. Not all of them, but but some of them definitely. There's also a secondary market for H-1B visa holders. If I if I'm an H-1B visa holder and I'm in the United States right now and I want to go to another employer or I get recruited by another employer, there's a small fee and I can transfer right over to that employer. My guess is, and I wanted to get your input on this, Jerry. Do you see that happening? And if so, what's going to be the impact? Will those fees, those transfer fees get, get upped and will more restrictions be put on transferring? Yeah, so at the moment, that is the, you know, that's how recruiting kind of happens, as it were, right? Uh, you don't like to use the word poaching, but, you know, people are looking out for opportunities, right? <laughs> that's another way. And the recruiters know that um, there's such a shortage of STEM talent in particular. Uh, in the United States, that um, you know we we can't produce it enough through the schools, and that's obviously why we need a lot of folks from other countries to come in and help us out. And so I do see because some of the limits now, uh, particularly in the H-1B, uh, if that continues and or um, you know gets exacerbated, you know with further proclamations issuing some some additional limitations, that you're going to see like full scale helmet on. Uh, folks recruiting from from competitors and so I think what that's going to do is it's going to those entry-level positions are maybe not going to be so entry-level anymore people are because people are going to be hiring people with more experience uh, because they've already been working in H&B status uh, with another uh, US employer they're probably going to have to pay more money to get those folks in because you're now definitely not looking at a level one wage you're going to be looking at you know at least a level two or a level three so I think, there are, I think there are a lot of ramifications. Um, that's also kind of a side issue. Uh, there's some talk that the level one wage for H-1Bs 
will be limited. Right now, there's four levels. Um, level one wages are, are harder to get unless it's truly an entry-level position. But now there, uh, there is some talk of limiting that uh, uh, down to even one year. Uh, hopefully not just one year, maybe two. But um, I think you're going to see a lot on that front, Rob. Uh, it's, uh, there's going to be a lot of competition for that talent. Uh, so crystal ball. So what might happen? Um, so H-1B uh, cap cases. There's talk right now that they could be prioritized based on the highest wage earners moving forward. So uh, you know it would it would really take out those kind of lower level, uh, maybe level one wage cases. Uh, that could be problematic. Uh, I read a number of stories about significant increase in H-1B filing fees. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean significant. You know, the last one I just read the other day was a twenty thousand filing fee, twenty thousand dollar filing fee for an H one B. I don't know if that will happen, but it's certainly being talked about now. Uh, all of us are familiar with H four, uh, EAD, and and what's going to happen on that. Uh, the uh, twenty twenty uh, unified regulatory agenda just came out for the spring. Uh, that is on the list uh, in terms of uh, getting it as an agenda item. Uh, again. It won't be the first time it's been on that list, but it's it's back again. Uh, I think travel could become definitely worse if COVID is not uh, tamped down, particularly in the U.S. So I think it's it's fairly tough right now to travel. I know there are a lot of travel questions out there, uh, and uh, that is that's just a little bit of an elusive one. It just seems like my global team just takes those as a one-off, you know, on every case in terms of where where people are going. Um, be mindful of the fact that I think visa processing is going to be problematic. Even when the uh, embassies um, begin to like issue visas again, I think cases are going to be scrutinized super closely, um, and I think you're going to see a time issue. So, with all that, um, it's obviously a very unnerving time for a lot of the folks who you work with, and, and kind of are you're you're the voice for them. Uh, I would say, um, you know, be mindful of that there's just based on. Uh, you know, the input that we get, there's a lot of fear and it's because they don't know it's coming. They know it's already on the table right now uh, and it's things that they have to be mindful of, but they're not sure of what's coming down the pike. So just a couple things to think about as we move forward in this COVID era. What, any gaps in the tech platform were evident because, you know, one day we're all working in an office. Next day it was like student body right and we're out of the office. How yeah. did the tech do? And, and, you know, we have a platform that, that sustained that as we start to grow and expand and do some other things, we have to keep an eye on that tech platform to make sure that that's going to be as robust as we need it to be to meet some of these challenges. I would say that, uh, you know, I think the technology never stops at this point, right? It's proven. I mean, the, the, frankly, the companies that have stayed the strongest, I think, uh, are a lot of the technology companies. And it's because there's now a real need. There's a real desire to make your business like really good. And one of the ways to do that, particularly if you have people working it's not like work from home now. It's work from anywhere. Yeah. Is what we're going to see. People are going to go around the planet. You're going to see that in terms of where people want to, they, you know, uh, I saw an article um, the other day and it talked about, in particular, the millennials. They still want to go on global assignments. They just don't want to go where you have an office. <laughs> they want to go anywhere. And you're going to continue to see that. So the technology has to be super strong. And that's the great part about being in the technology platform in that field. That is never going to stop. So there will always be a lot of options to make your business stronger. You're also going to start to see, I think, leaders will emerge from the strangest places right now. Some of these gaps, you're going to find people that will step up and they've got a skill set that was meant for this moment. Just be on the lookout for that kind of talent because their heads are going to come up.